Folks, this is The Cole Memo. I am your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to now. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. From there, you can find the corresponding episode, and then you'll be able to access the audio, video, or transcript version of that episode. You might also find any links that we reference during the episode so that you might be able to do your own research. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com slash Patreon. Once again, that's thecolememo.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's a great way to support our show. It only costs $3 a month, and it allows you to get exclusive access to our episodes as they release. But one of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free. Subscribe to or follow our show. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from. Favorite this episode, give it a thumbs up, leave a comment, or post a review. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Today is January 2nd, 2024. Enjoy this episode of The Cole Memo. Jeremy, thank you for sitting back down with me. Last time we spoke, I was hosting the Col- or the Chillinois podcast. I've since changed uh, show names. So welcome uh, to The Cole Memo. In case people don't know who you are, do you mind uh, introducing yourself? Yeah, my, my name is Jeremy Gorner. I'm a reporter with the Chicago Tribune. I cover uh, state government and state politics. Um, I'm uh, based out of the Illinois Capitol in Springfield. Awesome. And uh, yeah, so once again, you can find Jeremy's work in the Chicago Tribune. We'll actually be referencing uh, one story that I'll have linked, uh, and then we'll take a deep dive into a different story that we've talked about in the past. Uh, Happy New Year, though. First, I just wanted to say- Yeah, you too. You too. And uh, congratulations on the the image change. I I mean, I'm sure- uh, yeah, what were the reasons for that? What what prompted the uh, the the makeover? Well, you know, many different reasons, uh, but the main reason I'd say is so that I could branch out. But one of the reasons, if I could just be candid with, like, especially with a person like you, like, you know, I reach out to a reporter like you or somebody else who's highly regarded, and they'd see the the Chillinois podcast and my logo mm-hmm. and they'd be like, well, do I really want to like risk my career or reputation going on this show? And so I feel that <laughs> this gives it a more uh, professional look. And if you didn't know, Jeremy, the Cole memo is, I like to tell this for our audience so they can do a little bit of uh, learning. Um, yeah. The Cole memo is actually not just a cheesy reference to my name. It's, it's actually a reference to federal policy that began in the Obama era it mm. is the reason that adult use right. cannabis is allowed to go on state by state. Okay. Right, so right, right. Okay. It just happens to be convenient that my name is in it as well. <laughs> right, right, right. No, that's, well, that's, that's perfect. Probably, uh, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't have a problem with your, uh, your old name, but imagine had you, uh, had, had, had this been your original name, imagine all the policy wonks you would, who would have yeah. uh, latched, you know, who would have latched on earlier perhaps i mean who knows uh, right 
And that's <laughs> that to your point, that's what I love about this name. The policy wonks will get it right away. And and other people, it's it's vague enough to where I can basically talk about anything and everything. And and yeah. to that point, we'll cut we'll kind of be all over the map, at least for the beginning of this show. 2014, a new year means new laws. Uh <laughs> Right. And uh, I think that kind of segues us into one of our main stories that, that I wanted to discuss today. How do you want to break this down, um, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, you know, so there's uh, so Cole, I mean, you know, there's been, you know, more than there were more than 300 new state laws that went into effect uh, yesterday, January 1st. Um, and, you know, as I've said in our story, as Dan Petrella, my co my cohort and I said uh, in our story um, yesterday, this the, these new laws range from everything from education to criminal justice to employee benefits to a ban on indoor vaping. Um, and, um, you know, these are basically, you know, the priorities that are reflective of um, Governor J.B. Pritzker and his uh, Democratic allies in the um, Democratic-controlled legislature. Um, so like first and foremost, probably the, the most talked about new law is um, the assault weapons ban registry. Uh, basically, what this is, is by yesterday, if you um, in, if you, you know, are an Illinois resident who owned any of these more than 100 or so high powered um, semi-automatic rifles, handguns, or shotguns that are deemed assault weapons under the new assault weapons ban um, that you know went into effect last year. Um, you had until yesterday to, if you had these owned these weapons prior to the law going into effect last January 10th, you could still keep those weapons. However, you have to register them through the Illinois State Police, um, and you have to register, and you had to register them. Uh, by yesterday, January 1st. Um, basically, what the statute says is that if you are found to be in violation of this, it's a misdemeanor for a first offense. Um, and subsequent offenses, you could be charged with a felony. Um, I mean, I've been, you know, paying attention to some of these hearings that have been going on about, you know, from concerned residents about, you know, how this registry is going to be enforced. There were concerns that you know, some of the some of the rules put into place by the state police um, per the state law were kind of vague. Um, you know, how is this going to be put into place? And one of the, the one of the lawyers for the state police made it clear at these hearings that, you know, enforcement could vary from county to county. It could be it could be up to the county how they want to prosecute it if they want to prosecute it. Um, but, you know, it would be interesting to see what happens with this because, you know, as we've seen with bail reform, I mean, register lack of registering a gun, the, 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 the fine line between registering and not registering an assault weapon, which could mean the fine line between what's legal and, and illegal. Um, like we don't know, you know, it's not a violent crime, so it's not like it would be a detainable offense, you know, especially with misdemeanors with, a, with, 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 you know, with a misdemeanors, but still, um, the law is the law, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of compliance um, we get with this, you know, um, because we've seen, I don't know if you've been paying attention, Cole, earlier this year, um, on January 10th of last year, when um, the assault weapons ban went into effect, um, something like 90 county sheriff, 90 out of the Illinois' 102 county sheriffs basically said they weren't going to enforce this ban, including the registry. 
And there was a lot of paranoia that the that the police are going to come door to door to um, see if, uh, you know, gun owners are in compliance with this, which isn't going to happen. Um, but it'll be, you know, I, I think we're going to what we're going to see in the coming weeks is really this is going to be a true test, I think, for the state police and I think for state officials just to see how this is going to be enforced. And and in addition to that, I mean, the assault weapons ban itself is being litigated um, through the courts at the uh, right now on the federal level. Uh, so far, um, Pritzker and Attorney General uh, Kwame Raul have been successful in staving off legal challenges from gun rights groups who believe that the assault weapons ban itself is unconstitutional violate, and violates the Second Amendment. Um, and of course, the gun right, the, the assault weapon ban registry is part of that. Um, but, you know, it the way that it's shaping up right now, Cole, it could go up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And a lot of gun rights um, advocates are very hopeful of that because, of, as you know, the Supreme Court um, is a 6-3 conservative majority. Um, you know, a handful of them um, appointee, appointees of former President Trump, who um, obviously he you know, very pro second amendment. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. And different States are doing this too, right? Illinois is not alone. Isn't California another one that is. Uh, yeah. California, Delaware, Maryland, um, Illinois is like, I believe the ninth or, you know, about, you know, or, or about that, uh, uh, you know, so, you, so you're saying one the, way or another, they're hoping. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. District of Columbia too. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it's interesting because, you know, you're just bringing up your point about the states is that, you know, the thing that we keep hearing from Governor Pritzker is a renewed call for a federal assault weapons ban, which we had for 10 years, um, you know, from 1994 till 2004. Um, and he's obviously, you know, but but in this day and age with a such a divided Congress, um, I mean, we <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. But you know, he's also somebody who Pritzker, of course, has really branded himself as among his among his issues that he's really pushed forth, you know, of course, being, you know, um, you know, for pro-abortion rights, for example, and, you know, all about criminal justice reform. And after what, you know, the horrible, the, the deadly mass shooting in Highland Park, he's also become a gun control advocate himself. So, of course, that's going to be something he's going to champion. But I don't know if a federal assault weapons ban appears realistic at this time but that's but but the state ban is definitely something you know that's within his control yeah and um have you seen recent like compliance rates do we have do we keep track of yeah compliance rates um, yeah so let me um let me pull them up sure right right here and 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 this is what i think i want to stress for um this is really what i what i want to stress you know for your audience here is that you know the so, so here okay so there's 2.4 million um uh, uh uh foid card holders in illinois a foid card is a firearm um owner's identification card that is what illinoisans must have in their possession in order to own a firearm in in the state of illinois so there's 2.4 million people who have these cards 2.4 million of these cards issued and of that 2.4 million, um, of, of that those 2.4 million uh, FOID card holders, um, there have been 29,357 people who have registered 
um, either a gun that is deemed an assault weapon or an accessory to a gun deemed an assault weapon. So the state police website has a portal where um, that requires owners of these grandfathered in guns to, to register their guns. So, I mean, just to, you know, so, so just to say, so, so basically, um, you know, uh, just to, to kind of do the math here. Um, uh, um, yeah. So, so just to, to kind of do the math here, um, you have just over 1% of all FOID card holders in Illinois have registered either um, a gun deemed an assault weapon or an accessory um, to those guns. Now, the question is, is like, does that mean that people just aren't following the law? Well, I want to stress to your listeners, we don't know. And this is this is why this is important, because just because you are a FOID card holder in Illinois, that doesn't mean that you own a gun. Um, and just because you are a FOID card holder in Illinois, if you own a gun, that doesn't necessarily mean you own a gun that is deemed an assault weapon. So we we truly don't have an exact accounting of how many of these banned weapons should be grandfathered in, you know, that where there's non-compliance. Now, we've seen a lot of pro-Second Amendment folks in Illinois say that they are not going to follow, um, you know, this gun this gun uh, ban registry, um, you know, probably, you know, in the last 24 hours, if you've been paying attention to social media, Darren Bailey, the former um, gubernatorial candidate to, who lost to Pritzker in the last election, um, Bailey Republican from uh, southeastern Illinois, basically put out a, um, uh, it, he basically put out an image of um, his, his, you know, depicting his home where he's sitting at a table doing a puzzle and a couple of long, you know, long guns that are basically laid out out there. And he's saying, I'm not going to comply. Um, that's, you know, so and I, and there's a lot of people who feel that way about this law who are um, really pro gun rights. So that's the thing. But 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 get still, we don't know, you know, that one percent that I mentioned, you know, we don't know how many people in this state own guns that should be registered yeah yeah it's like uh we're just the sound so it sounds like the compliance rate is just basically seeing of the number of total void card holders comparing it to the number of people that have registered either a, a weapon that qualifies under this ban or or like you say an accessory that qualifies under this ban what was the percentage you said again given it was that just over one it was just over one percent Wow. Card holders. Well, and then the other element that I think is important to consider, you know, I know that 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 you're very well aware of it and, and we've talked about it. So I'm, you know, somewhat aware of the developments and such. But I, I got to wonder how many people in Illinois are actually keenly aware of these details and what's required. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been so. So that's been um, it was it's so interesting you bring that up, Cole, because. That's kind of been an issue, especially from for downstate residents. You know, I mean, there was I heard a question that was asked at a press conference about people who live in rural rural communities who don't have access to, you know, broadband, you know, Internet. You know, how, how are they going to because you have to go online <laughs> to register. You have to go through an online portal through the Illinois State Police. So, I mean, not to be an apologist, not to make excuses or anything like that. Of course, I'm just telling you just based on reporting and from talking to people that this is what I'm gathering. But what you said, you know, is a legitimate issue with some folks. And and but but 
I think what uh, Attorney General Raul's staff will say, because they've argued this in court, is that, um, you know, constitutionally, they have satisfied their requirement to notify the public about um, the registry. And here's 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 why. I mean, put it. The, so January 10th of 2023, that's when uh, Pritzker signs the assault weapons ban into law. And um, and if you read the statute, it pretty clearly sp spells out that um, beginning on October 1st of 2023, um, Illinoisans who own these guns have to fill out what's called a so-called endorsement affidavit, which is a fancy way of saying they have to register their gun with the state police. But that's kind of a legalese term with, well, I mean, that's what state police is calling it. And that's what it's how it's written in the statute. That process began October 1st and um and ended you know yesterday january 1st um and um basically that and in that those numbers i gave you were a reflection of um, the percentage of total foid card holders in illinois who registered um their grandfathered in um, banned guns um from october 1st until yesterday basically so um so so my point is is that on January 10th of last year, it was codified into law that you had to register these guns between October 1st and January 1st. That's number one. Number two, there were three public hearings um, about concerns regarding the um, the assault weapons ban registry um, beginning in September uh, or September, October. It was in the fall, basically. There was one down in downstate Caseyville. There's one in Chicago, one in Springfield. And there you basically had gun rights advocates kind of airing out their concerns about this registry saying it's it's vague on, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, you know, as far as like some of the, the gun attachments that they have to register, like what constitutes a flash suppression, a flash suppressor or a pistol grip. Um, the definitions that they give could be different to different you know aren't, aren't clear enough to some people like that was that was one concern and then another concern too that was raised by lawmakers uh by republican lawmakers is that you know when it comes to um when it comes to owning a gun you know you know gun rights advocates what they value is is data privacy like they're not um like the the government does not keep track um does not keep like a registry of what kind of guns they're, you know, or like ATF doesn't keep track of what kind of guns, you know, people own. Like they don't have like a, 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 a master registry like that. What they do have, of course, they can access, you know, the 4473 forms that you would fill out when you go to a federally licensed firearm dealer. Um, you know, and ATF, you know, agents could do that. But there's no like, by and large, there's data privacy when it comes to firearm ownership and by by having to report what guns you own to the state police some folks feel that goes against that you know what i mean so of course another question is if this law is deemed unconstitutional in the courts um what are they gonna what's the state police gonna do with all that data um so that's another thing they're sorting out but anyhow i'm going off on a tangent here my point is is that the state law when it was signed when it was signed a law by pritzker january 10th spells out you know that a registry it does exist and number two in the in, in, in from the you know after that in the fall there were public hearings about that so my point is is that attorney general raul he and his staff believe that they've given the public ample notice about this and 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 they've fulfilled their 
um, constitutional duties by informing the public the way they have. Might not be considered adequate by a lot of people, especially pro-Second Amendment folks who, who are not in favor of the assault weapons ban, but Raul's staff is pretty adamant saying that they've done their job in notifying the public. Yeah. Yeah, I bring that up just to add a I felt like a layer of nuance to what you were saying, which is that, you know, some people might be out and vocal saying, I'm not registering my guns, you yeah. know, to the government. But some people, I don't know, like you, you said, living under a rock. I mean, some people truly do. <laughs> so yeah. they, so but but to your point, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but I I like I say I bring that up just to you know, it's a it's an extra layer of uh like I say, nuance to one of the points I think you were making. And another thing I just actually read the other online to another point you brought up with regard to just having a registry in general is the privacy concerns that people have with database leaks becoming a normal thing, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So I just, that's an interesting thought that I didn't even think of. I read that uh, a concern the other day and I was like, oh, I didn't even think about the fact that, yeah, that database could be breached, you know, if we don't have the the highest security protocols or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, the federal government, if they really want to, if they're doing like an investigation into gun trafficking mm -hmm. or gun running or, you know, um, you know, for, for example, or, or like any kind of gun crimes, I mean, they can have access to the 4473 forms that one has to fill out to buy a gun at like a gun shop, for example. There's a lot of states though, that um, you know, don't keep track of, um, of private sales, you know, from, you know, you know, as far as like just regular trans everyday people selling a gun to another everyday person. I mean, there is, there's laws that I think where they have to keep records for X amount of years, but you know, there's no registry that, you know, that reflects all that, that keeps track of all that. Um, but I, but I guess what you're bringing up, too is that you know what one of the things that came out the hearings in regards to data privacy is that there was a question about um you know uh, you know so so there's a thing called the leads database i don't know if you're familiar with the leads database or um so the leads database is basically um it's a very commonly it's it's administered by the state it's commonly used by law enforcement agencies within the state of illinois so um you know Law enforcement, like if they pull you over for a traffic stop, they can run your name and leads to see what your criminal history is, if you if you're wanted for any crimes, et cetera. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, law enforcement has records of whether somebody, you know, they're doing a background check on or a search or they're doing a search on rather, um, you know, in the database, they could tell whether they have a FOID card or not. So. The state police's argument was basically, you know, so so like some of the re legislative Republicans were saying, well, you know, it, it's it's kind of we're concerned about, you know, the fact that the database leads database could also say, um, yeah, this person, um, you know, owns these guns, registered them with the state police under, you know, these person actually own assault weapons. They're, they are legally registered with the state police. And, you know, Republicans were expressing concerns that gun owners might be a little iffy about that. And the state police has come back and said that this is really no different than, you know, an, a police officer knowing right off the bat that you are a FOID card holder. This is just a little more information to show like, okay, what kind of guns do they have, um, you know, that they legally registered in the system. But nonetheless, this goes back to my point about, you know, how gun rights advocates are concerned about data privacy.
um, basically. And that's, and that's basically, that would be kind of the, um, you know, that would be the clearinghouse, if you will, for um, some of this data would be in like the leads database or a comparable law enforcement database used by, you know, uh, police in Illinois. Yeah. Any other bases we haven't covered uh, just on the latest developments with this? I've got like one more question and it kind of, you've kind of already touched on it, um, but I just wanted to ask, give you the space. Was there anything else that we haven't touched on with regard to this new gun, gun law, firearm law? Nothing that specifically, um, you know, I, that I could think of that specifically went into effect yesterday. Okay. Uh, year's day. But like, you know, obviously just, you know, the ban also applies to, um, to, to magazines. So like, for example, you know, in addition to the sale import purchase of, you know, these high powered guns, um, you know, also included in the ban are um, high capacity magazines. And the way high capacity magazines are defined is that anything more than 10 rounds for a long gun um, or 50, anything more than 15 rounds for a handgun. So those are also um, subject to the assault weapons ban. Gotcha. And so, like I said, you had already kind of addressed this question, but just to put a bow on this topic before we skip mm -hmm. to new laws that, that are going sure. into effect what is next when when's the next hearings uh when might it go to the supreme court but i don't know just get kind of what what is your what does it look like will occur i mean I, of course these are predictions yeah. but yeah so i mean it's really so i i i wish i had a list in front of me to show you how many legal challenges they've been like i unfortunately don't have it memorized chapter and sure. verse like when the next hearings are for these cases, but what, what it's, it's been expressed to me, like, so right before Christmas break, um, uh, a federal judge in uh, Southern Illinois denied um, a motion from gun rights advocates, um, you know, who requested a preliminary injunction, basically a te to temporarily halt the registry from going into effect January 1st. Basically that was denied by a federal judge um, the same federal judge who initially granted an injunction, if you recall, the assault weapons ban was overturned for a brief time because this same judge through um, an injunction said it was likely unconstitutional. That decision was overturned by a panel in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals here in Chicago. Um, and uh, so one of the other things the gun rights folks tried to do was get you know basically site you know siphon out the registry from the ban itself to try to get an injunction on that and the judge wouldn't go for that so basically what's next is in the next couple of months you're gonna prop you're gonna see both sides um the gun rights advocates and um attorney general raul's staff basically argue on the merits of um the assault weapons ban itself and you know that could be subject to you know whatever the whatever judges you know, federal judges, you know, on the district level in Illinois rule there, you know, that could be appealed um, subject to appeals from either side, whatever, whatever side is, you know, um, you, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, is on the losing end of some of these initial legal challenges. And before you know it, it probably could go up to the U.S. Supreme Court in the coming months. So yeah. that's kind of where we're at right now. It's really, we're really in the appeals process for, several of these legal challenges i mean there's a legal challenge out there too by um uh by state rep dan calkins he's a republican from decatur 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the there was a there was a there was also a separate pathway to ban to um to basically overturn the ban uh, through the Illinois Supreme Court, and that failed. Um, but Calkins, of course, was making um you, you know made some news and emotion by saying that you know, alleging that a couple of the judges who voted to um, keep the assault weapons ban in place were actually recipients of some big donations from Governor Pritzker when they, um, you know, when they uh, ran for their seats. So Calkins is appealing, you know, the state Supreme Court's ruling to the U.S. Supreme Court, which I don't, I mean, a lot of gun, one gun control advocate I talked to who's a lawyer said doesn't think that that has a good chance uh didn't didn't really seem like there there's really grounds for an appeal like that but that's what we're going to see next I mean that's that's among the legal challenges that you know the the U.S. Supreme Court is going to field or not or decide not to field we'll see and that's kind of what I was going to ask is this just is the end game here in the United States Supreme Court is that probably I, I think that's probably safe to say I mean as of right now I mean because um, I, I mean, both sides are fighting tooth and nail. You have, you know, Attorney General Raul and Governor Pritzker. I mean, you know, because of what happened in Highland Park, are fighting tooth and nail to keep this in place. They're very confident that the law is constitutional, especially since other states have passed their own bans. But you know, you have the gun rights advocates who are very passionate that they think that they violated the Second Amendment and. You know, in the times that we're in, you know, they probably feel more emboldened to keep fighting this law, especially with the makeup of the Supreme Court of the U.S. Supreme Court as we see it today. Yeah. And I'm I'm asking this because I hear it thrown around a lot by people on the, the rights of firearms. And I'm just curious as a reporter if you've ever heard a response to people saying, you know, Chicago has the strictest gun laws in the nation, yet it has a really huge problem with with firearms in the city. Has anybody, have you ever heard anybody address that idea? In other words, they're saying, how's a ban going to help, you know, type of thing? Well, I mean, I think one thing to look at, you know, is I think it's kind of tricky. But, you know, if I were, I would like to look and see, like, what kind of guns are being recovered from the streets Mm. of Chicago at crime scenes. Yeah. And if, um and, 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 you know, if, if some of these guns are, you know, if these are guns that are indeed banned under state law for legal gun owners, then it kind of makes you then it kind of makes you wonder, <laughs> you know, if these are, ban- you know, these guns had to have come from somewhere. They had to mm-hmm. have come from gun shops that aren't supposed to be selling these guns, you know. Um, so how did they get out on the street? But I think that it's going to be a while. Well, because this ban, like I said, this ban, it hasn't even been a year yet. Yeah. Um, it just went into place before we can draw that conclusion as to the effectiveness, um, you know, of mm-hmm. the ban. But I know that that is a very, you know, that is obviously a very common saying. And I think, you know, um, you know, obviously what I think, you know, a lot of, you know, gun control advocates will say to that is, you know, Illinois does have a lot of strict laws, but there's also neighboring states that have guns like at crime scenes that, and you know, guns that originated from neighboring states that end up on, you know, at, on the streets of Chicago as well. Um, um, you know, but then also there's an argument to be made about, you know, 
think of some of the ways that these guns end up on the streets. You know, it's, you know, you have a lot of, you know, you have police like to bring up straw purchasing, you know, straw purchasing, obviously, for your audience is when somebody who is not allowed to own a firearm legally gets somebody they know who is who has a FOID card. Um, and in order to get a FOID card, you can't have a felony conviction. That's basically will disqualify you essentially from owning mm-hmm. a firearm. They might get some one of their friends who has a FOID card to get them guns. I mean, that's how um, street conflicts have, um, you know, have occurred because, you know, we, we've seen that with straw purchasing. The thing is, is that those cases are pretty seldom prosecuted, you know, on the state and federal, you don't really hear a lot of prosecutions um, for straw purchasing. I mean, there's not, there's not really, um, you know, I don't think that that's like an actual criminal charge, but like in in terms of actually proving that, you know, basically, you know, illegal gun running or anything like that, or gun running is illegal, that's a redundancy, but you know what I mean? that's that's something like gun running like is is kind of like through straw is through straw purchasing you you hear of prosecutions from time to time but it's not a regular thing right what you do hear a lot what you do hear a lot is and i know i going on a tangent here but uh you do hear a lot of people in chicago getting arrested for illegal gun possession and 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 there's two schools of thought there you have the police who think well it's illegal for to, to carry a gun if you're not allowed to own one. And if you don't have a FOID card and we catch you with a gun, that is a felony. But then you have, um, you know, you have a lot of re- criminal justice reformers. You have a lot of progressives who say, you know, uh, you know, so certain communities in Chicago, particularly on the South and West side, um, African-American communities in particular are over-policed. And when they pull, you know, people over, they're bound to find a gun, but it could be, People carry guns, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're out to kill someone or out to, to shoot someone. And, you know, and the thing is, is that, um, you know, when, you know, the so, so what a lot of progressives will say is that these aren't necessarily the people who are behind the violence. The people yeah. who are actually shooting the guns are behind the violence. And if you look at statistics, you know, it's you know, it's under like 10% a year, uh, you know, of, of cl- the clearance rate for like a non-fatal shooting, which is the most common form of gun violence in Chicago. So, p- you know, a lot of progressives will say that's what you really need to focus on are people doing the shootings, not people who are carrying the illegal guns. So it's, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on where these guns come from, how people get access to them. Sometimes that could be, you know, a total mystery, especially because, you know, you know, especially like with straw purchasing with police, which is what police emphasize a lot. We just don't see a lot of those cases being prosecuted, even though the police cite that as a big reason for illegal guns ending up on the street. Hmm. Yeah, this is all very interesting. Uh, the subject is definitely going to be uh, interesting to see play out. And I would love to have you back on to to continue to talk about the developments. And please no need for apologies on the tangents. That's what makes this podcast great. Okay, we can good. have a long form, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, long form conversation with that nuance. Um, yeah. So, well, cool. I feel like we covered that subject. What are some other new laws that are coming into place? Uh, you mentioned an indoor vape ban and other things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, vaping, vaping is no longer going to be allowed, you know, in most uh, indoor public places. Um, this was an expansion several years ago. They had the Smoke Free Illinois Act, which basically banned 
traditional smoking from mm. most indoor places. Um, and um, yeah, so that was 16 years ago. Um, so, so basically, you know, use of electronic cigarettes, you know, it, it's banned everywhere in Illinois that, you know, places that use combust, you know, where, where combustible tobacco products, as they say, was not previously allowed. Um, and so this will include within 15 feet of entrances to public buildings. So basically, wherever smoking, regular smoking is banned, so is vaping. Um, I'm sure I think that there are some exceptions, like if you're in a tobacco shop and a big percentage of your business comes from e-cigarettes, well, then it's OK. But yeah, it's but if it's from like but tradition, traditional places that we we all know, like office buildings, restaurants and, you, you know, sports arenas, whatever it's or Yeah, it's banned. And quick fun fact just for the audience. We've visited consumption lounges in the state in the past, and that's how they do it. They get a tobacco retailer's permit. And then uh, you like you say, there is a certain percentage of sales that has to be of those tobacco products. But you're you can be defined as not a public space. And right. then, therefore, you would not be you would not fall under the smoke free Illinois Act. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, also, um, you know, some of these other laws, uh, too. So, um, you know, book ban, you know, there was a law that addressed book bans. Um, so, you know, this was this really um, attracted a lot of attention, especially because of the, you know, partisan divides we're seeing across the country, Cole. Um, you know, so this, this was an initiative from Secretary of State Alexi Janulius. Um, libraries, uh, public libraries, you know, which would include schools um, in Illinois, uh, school libraries as well, you know, um, would be cut off from state funding if they're found to have removed books uh, and other materials um, from their shelves um, for, quote, partisan or doctrinal reasons. Um, and basically, you know, this is a law, like I said, it comes as debates over book banning have um, intensified across the U.S. It's, you know, there's been a renewed discussion about censorship, school curricula, and how much, say, parents should have over what books are in library shelves. And Democrats on the state and national level say that book bans often discriminate against the LGBTQ plus community and other marginalized groups. Republicans have argued that some of these titles need to be out of the reach of children because they contain pornography or obscene imagery. And basically what this law does is that, um, you know, for, you know, for your, you know, for your audience, if they're not aware, um, in addition to the secretary of state running um, driver's facilities, you know, to get your license renewed or your, you know, a new driver's license, the secretary of state is also the state librarian which means that they provide grant funding for libraries across Illinois. So what this law does is that if they are found to have banned books, um, you know, you know, if they don't follow certain guidelines that are outlined in the statute, it's House Bill 2789 for anyone who wants to read the statute. I know that, um, you know, that, that that'll kind of tell you a little bit about it. Um, then the Secretary of State's office has the right to deprive um, these libraries of grant funding, if they're seeking grant funding, basically. Um, so, you know, we'll kind of see how that plays out as well. I mean, there's, um, you know, some Republicans who think that, you know, that, you know, again, um, who don't know how this is going to, this is going to work, you know, you know, um, especially because, you know, in the law, 
the Democrats are following what's called the, the American Library Association's Bill of Rights. Um, this is a national organization that's been around for decades. Um, and that's that's where the the language about banning books for part quote partisan or doctrinal end quote reasons comes from. Or these libraries can adopt their own policies that explicitly bar them from banning books. Um, so so yeah, and and then you know to in uh, another question, a big question that came up, I mean, um, you know, for Secretary of State Janulius was, you know, you, you know, this raises questions too, like to, to some people who don't know how the process works is like, how do books end up in libraries to begin with? And um, you basically have library boards, you have school boards who make that determination as to what titles will end up on shelves. Janulius said that that process is not going to be interfered with. This process focuses on books that are already on the shelves, basically. So that's there, there's there's that as well. It's interesting. Um, I heard it, and I did, I hate to say this because it confused me the first time, but it makes sense now. It's a ban on book bans. Right, right, and it, it's a <laughs> right? ban on book bans, but it's 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 it's. I mean, I I don't even know if I would say it's a ban on book bans. What it really is is like if you. <laughs> Like the way the law is written is that, you know, if you are if you're seeking grant funding, which many I mean, Secretary mm -hmm. of State, you know, dishes out millions, tens of millions of dollars each year in library grants, you know, yeah. um, for whatever improvements that the libraries need. If you if you want that and you are found to have banned books, um, then Secretary yeah, of State. Like you say, it's like the board could choose. It's it's if it gets removed for those reasons. I see. I see why you clarify that. Right, way. right. But but I mean, I will say that I will leave you this. This a big question is going to be how are they going to enforce it? Sure. Right? I mean, that's going to be, I think, something that everybody yeah. is going to watch is how how are you going to accuse a library of banning books if it, you know like like what does that entail? So right. I think that that we're it's going to be an interesting six months to see how or first hundred days like with anything in government to see how this plays out with that um and i can keep going another yeah. another um uh Genulius initiative that made it through the the legislature um police will no longer be allowed to pull over motorists solely for having small objects such as air fresheners dangling from uh their vehicles rearview mirror um, this ba this law basically seeks to prevent traffic stops for minor infractions that could be um, a pretext, you know, to look for more serious offenses. Um, you know, Janulius's office has said that these stops obviously can be racially motivated and have the potential to lead to um, violent confrontations, um, you know, between police and motorists. Um, so that's another thing that um, that we're seeing. Um, and then. You know, another thing as well, as, as far as, um, you know, I think I told you about this earlier, uh, Cole, but not not in this podcast, but like last week, um, the secretary uh, is another another initiative here related to the secretary of state is that this applies to people who's, who've served time in prison. Um, the secretary of state office um, state, the secretary of state's office um, will now issue identification cards to state prison or juvenile detention inmates if they provide, you know, the appropriate documentation, a birth certificate, social security card, photograph, proof of residency. This is basically, um, you know, for um, people who are incarcerated, who are about to be released from prison, 
you know, basically for landing on their feet, you know, we've heard complaints, you know, you, you know, officials have said that there's been complaints that if somebody is in, incarcerated for a certain period of time, they may have an ID, but who knows, it could get lost in law enforcement may still have it. It could be lost somewhere in the chain of custody where, you know, a detainee has to give up their belongings or it could, or they've been incarcerated for an extended period of time so much where their ID expired. So um, basically an application must be submitted 60 days prior to their scheduled release um, from either IDOC or the Department of Juvenile Justice. And these two entities, um, you know, for juveniles and adults, they or for minors and adults, they must help people who are incarcerated, you know, obtain this documentation. So that's another new law. Um, I think another one too. Um, should I keep going? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Another one. Um, another one. Basically, uh, here. Um, oh yeah. So there's. Uh, oh yes. Okay. So there's. There were laws that were passed pertaining to online harassment. Mm. Um, so basically, anyone in Illinois who engages in doxing, and for those who don't know, doxing is. Basically, when you share, um, when you go online and you share personal identifiable information about another person, um, you know, to harm them or, you know, or harass them, um, anyone who engages in doxing can be found civilly liable, um, you know, and basically what the statute says is that it, those people who could be found liable um are those who share information with reckless disregard that the person to whom the information belongs, quote, would be reasonably likely to suffer death, bodily injury, or stalking. So that's another, so that's um, one law. Another another um, law related to online harassment that passed is, um, uh, you know, anyone who is found to have altered image of someone else in a sexually explicit manner Mm -hmm. um, could also be subject to uh, to legal action, um, civil damages. That's a practice that's known colloquially as deepfake porn. Um, this law is called the Digital Forgeries Act. This would grant plaintiffs financial reliefs in lawsuits if it's found that they falsely depicted somebody in this manner without their permission. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. And then you have, um, uh, oh yeah, well, you know, you also have minimum wage. Minimum wage for workers 18 and older went up by a dollar um, to $14 an hour this year. So these are annual pay bumps, Cole. They result from a measure that Pritzker signed into law in 2019 when the minimum wage was like $8.25 an hour. Um, so the final increase is going to come next year when it reaches $15 an hour. Um, so there's that. Um, but, you know, some of the state, so like, you know, Chicago. So like, I know like Chicago, um, I think on July 1st, you know, the minimum wage for employers that have 20 or more workers, you know, went up like 1580 an hour. So, I mean, this is kind of what I'd mentioned before about the 14 an hour is kind of a statewide thing, mm. um, or it is a statewide thing rather. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you know, I'm just kind of going down the list here because this story was very long. Sure. It was 3,200 words. Um, oh, yeah. So as you know, you know, we have, uh, you know, a new casino, you know, there's new casinos in the state in the mm -hmm. last uh, couple of years, as you know. Um, and 
There's a new measure. It's supported by state gambling regu regulators, and it basically holds that people convicted of felonies um, previously were ineligible for to hold any job in an Illinois casino. But this there's a new law that allows people convicted of these crimes to be eligible for employment if these positions don't directly deal with betting. So oh. so so um, people who have felonies on their record can work in casinos in like the food service sector or like housekeeping or maintenance. Um, and obviously this comes as several new casinos have opened in the state, um, you know, including in Chicago. And, you know, this comes after, you know, 2019, the, the big gambling expansion, which, um, you know, you know, proponents say that it will provide more job opportunities in this industry in the state. Um, and then I can, Another big one that that we talked about last week that I was pretty excited to read was that a, a measure that largely prohibits judges from ordering people to refrain from consuming alcohol or right. marijuana as a condition of probation, conditional discharge or court supervision. Yes. Yeah. So oftentimes, um, you know, when any criminal defendant is charged with a crime, what what judges do, obviously, is they impose certain restrictions on these defendants and that includes you know prohibiting them from consuming marijuana or alcohol mm -hmm. um you know if they're you know if they're convicted of if their conviction is for you know for you know is if they're sentenced to probation conditional or court supervision that's a pretty common thing this this law basically will allow judges to do that really in you know, it's very specific cases. So I would imagine I would, here's an example I would imagine. I'm not a lawyer, but I would think sure. like if you are arrested and convicted of aggravated driving under the influence where you're drunk driving and you crash into somebody and you seriously injure them, I would and say as part of the, whatever sentence you get, um, you know, if it is, I don't, I don't know if it's a probationable offense but I guess it might depend on bodily injury. I'm not, again, whatever, a, a criminal conviction like that. My point is, is that, you know, drugs and alcohol were germane to the commission of that crime. Mm -hmm. So just pick any crime that you're sentenced to probation where drugs and alcohol were germane to that crime. That Those are cases where a judge can um, basically impose a refrain of those substances you know, which are contingent on you staying on probation or, you know, on court supervision. So there's that. And also, um, and also, you know, courts can still place restrictions on people under 21. Um, yeah. And, and they can, you know, they, you know, a, a judge can still impose such restrictions on anyone under 21. And also participants in special programs called problem solving courts. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are just some of the conditions where a judge is still allowed to order people from refraining from, um, alcohol and, and, and marijuana. Um, and then also speaking of that, I mean, we're, since we're talking about like substance abuse, there were yeah. also several measures that took effect, um, that are aimed at addressing the opioid epidemic. Um, and so, uh, particularly with, um, fentanyl, of course, highly dangerous synthetic opioid contributes to many overdose deaths in Illinois, um, especially in the last decade. Um, 
Um, so like one new law allows pharmacies and other retailers to sell um, fentanyl test strips over the counter. Um, and it's it's an it's basically it's a very important um, that's a very important thing for um, as a harm um, reduction strategy, because, you know, you know, drug users oftentimes, you know, if they ingest a certain drug, they don't know if fentanyl's in it. And, you know, that's how we've seen many overdoses and even deaths, you know, so this basically, um, you know, the availability of, of, of these test strips allow users to basically detect that, you know, whether it's present in other drugs. Another law allows trained overdose responders. These are, you know, for organizations um, that are part of the Illinois Department of Human Services. They have a drug overdose prevent prevention program. They're um, allowed to dispense drug adulterant testing supplies. This was something that only pharmacists and doctors and medical assistants were allowed to do in the past. And um, also high schools will now be required to teach the dangers of fentanyl, fentanyl in every state required health course um, uh, in high school beginning um, in the fall. And, um, you know, so the instruction on the dangers of fentanyl, it must come from federal agencies like the National Institutes of Health. Um, this should include material about side effects and risk factors of fentanyl, how to detect the drug using test strips, um, and the roles of other opioid antagonists like like um, like Narcan, for instance. Um, and then public and private schools in Illinois um, are also required to keep Narcan or you know, some of these other opioid antagonists in a secure location um, in, you know, you know, in the, you know, in the event of an overdose. Previously, um, this was optional in schools. Now it's going to be mandatory. I'm sorry, I was muted. Uh, common Zoom mistake. Maybe we can wrap up with uh, this, this last uh, story, which at first I like misread it. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Uh, it starts out with, and maybe you can take it from here. Illinois is repealing a portion of the 2013 law that legalized same-sex marriage. That's the part that I was like, wait a minute, where's the sentence going? Um, can you pick up where I left off there? I yeah, yeah. So so Illinois, um, they're repealing a portion of the uh, um, same-sex marriage law it, that prohibited marriage licenses from being issued to same-sex couples um, from out of state if their state doesn't allow such unions uh, to take place. So same-sex marriage was, um, it's been legal nationwide since the Obama years, since a 2015 Supreme Court um, ruling. Um, you know, of course, you know, at this time, you know, we, we've seen that LGBTQ plus advocates, they're concerned about, you know, this decision, you know, after the high court last year, you know, overturned um, the federal right to abortion uh, under that were granted under Roe v. Wade. And in a, in that concurring opinion, if you recall, Justice Thomas, he called for the court to reconsider other, reconsider other um, rulings, including the federal, you know, the Supreme Court ruling that legalized same-sex marriage. So, you know, basically, um, you know, the previous law made it a Class C misdemeanor for a public official to issue a marriage license to couples who would not be permitted uh, to wed under the laws of their home state. But that's been repealed, basically. Um, cool. Yeah. Very cool. 
Well, Jeremy, uh, folks that are listening, we're going to have this story linked. I don't we covered actually most of the article, but I think there are some bases maybe we we skipped over. So, folks, I encourage you to read the full article uh, by Jeremy Gorner. And is it Dan Petrella? Am I saying his last name right? Dan Petrella. Correct. Okay. Yeah, we'll have it linked in the podcast description. We'll also have uh, Jeremy's social media, like his Twitter uh, linked in case you want to follow Jeremy uh, for his work. Jeremy, I got I to gotta thank you for doing what you do to keep the public informed um, just on behalf of my listeners and, and on uh, on behalf of myself, somebody who reads your work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I know I was rambling, but there was a lot there. Cole, so <laughs> No, it was perfect. And like I say, it's exactly what this podcast, I, I think it's what separates my podcast from other forms of media. The fact that we can take a deep dive and we can, you know, go off on tangents and stuff. I think that's what makes it unique. I'd like yeah. to hope at least. So sure. sure. Well, folks, I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did, uh, Jeremy, I look forward to uh, maybe catching up with you in the future on uh, whatever you might be reporting on them. So, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, congratulations with everything with the with the change uh, with the image change and everything. So. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, folks. You take care. All right. Bye.